Daily Coast's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Coast, and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Elleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome. I am Marcos Melitzas. I am here with Carrie Elleveld. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast, The Brief, our weekly show about politics. This is a pre-recorded show, Carrie, where people are taking vacations. And so we decided to uh, to get a couple in the can so that we could keep the show running even when we're not around. And so we're not going to really talk about current events because we can't tell the future, although we probably could get away with it, couldn't we, Carrie? I, Donald I Trump predict, said something stupid. Donald Trump yeah. said something stupid. You predict that Donald Tr- Trump said something stupid, and I predict that the filibuster still exists. <laughs> yes. So, banter, banter, complain, complain. All right. Yeah. All We're right. going to talk today about the future of American democracy as seen through the uh, lens of polling, what people see what people think and feel about their democracy. We know this because Civics, which is a data firm uh, that is uh, that came out of Daily Coast, did a poll recently that sort of dug into people's, <laughs> we call it the Patriot Poll. The Patriot Poll. <laughs> With exclamation points. I mean, not to be outdone by Donald Trump, right? I've got exclamation points. There they so, are. So Carrie, so, Carrie yeah. used her incredible artistic talent to create an animated, if you're just listening to the podcast, you don't realize <laughs> that it is actually on a piece of paper, but animated. I don't know how she I, did it. That was all amazing. I'm, all I'm saying is I used my own Sharpie for that. So, uh, and it says Patriot Poll with exclamation points. And let me tell you, <laughs> It's not it's not like I'm trying to, like, change the course of a hurricane or anything. I'm just I'm just letting people know the facts. That's all. <laughs> so to talk about this recent poll and to talk about civics and what we have found, we're bringing on the director of civics, Drew Linzer. Drew, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. I don't know why I tripped over the title so much. Drew and I haven't known each other. We've been working together now since the 2012 election. So we're talking nine years, Drew. And so everybody knows um, back in 2012, this was Obama's reelection. Drew had a model, kind of like Nate Silver had a model, to predict the election results. I had a model, too, although mine wasn't <laughs> – mine was a little low rent compared to everybody else's. And Drew sort of nailed the election, and I did. And now, in retrospect, I think it was totally accidental. But at the time, it seemed really freaking cool. So Drew was visiting Berkeley. He was a professor in uh, at Emory University in Georgia, and he and and Drew, do you, do you like remember reaching out to me and and asking to to go out to I, to a I diner? I do. Yeah, I um, I think it might have been because you uh, mistyped my last name in one of your stories, and I used that as an excuse to reach out. And I thought <laughs> I thought we should uh, have lunch together, so so we did, and and. Uh, it was a really, it was very exciting conversation, and we were starting to cook up some ideas. Yeah, me making a mistake totally tracks, <laughs> totally believable. Sorry, so, yeah, yeah, I didn't mean so, to embarrass you there. Oh no, no, not at all. So, 2012 was sort of like I think it was last year that the telephone pollsters really were were you know 
functional, I would say. And one of the things we did in this conversation, we sat around and said the future of polling has to change because people are not answering polls anymore, telephone to answer polls. And so what comes next? And so we created, uh, we talked about what at the time seemed to me, seemed almost science fiction, this idea that we would create this, this panel with millions of people and we would ask them online questions uh, and track those questions over time. And uh, it seems science fiction, but, you know, Drew built it. And what we have today, you can see it at civics.com, civics with a Q, C-I-V-I-Q-S dot com. You can actually see some of these questions that we that we make public. And it is actually fascinating because originally traditional polling is a snapshot in time. And you don't get the movement between those snapshots. You don't know what happened, you know, if it polls every month. And nowadays, you don't even get that anymore. But, you know, if you had a monthly poll, you don't know if something happened in the middle that cratered the numbers and then they rose. You just sort of see that snapshot. And with civics, we can actually see what moves. And very importantly, what doesn't move the news. And you kind of find out over time that not a lot moves. People's opinions are pretty locked. And you don't change your opinion. If you're listening to this, I bet you you don't change your opinion very much. Why would everybody else? Drew, is that, is that accurate? Yeah, that's, that is what um, our polling is able to show. You know, we had an idea that if we could somehow poll enormous numbers of people uh, everywhere in the country every day, that we could uh, really come up with some highly accurate and uh, potentially very stable uh, trendline tracking on what people in the United States actually thought rather than what a poll of 500 people here or there might show. And so the truth is that on most issues, most people's attitudes overall are, are pretty stable. And what's, what's really fascinating about the kind of tracking that we do is that sometimes it's not very stable. And, um, and when that happens, when we're able to observe public opinion changing very quickly, we can see what matters in politics and what doesn't. You know, the flip side of that is that a lot of times conventional wisdom will say, oh, this event or that event, this gaffe is really going to make a big difference uh, to what people think. And we've got the polls going before and after because we're running these surveys every single day and nothing changes. And it's a good counter to those sorts of uh, hair on fire narratives. Yeah, you, and Carrie, sorry, be, um, before you get started, I just want to one quick example about that. And, and that well, is no, hold on, COVID. hold on. Let me just ask my question. Okay. Uh, you said an enormous number of people. Mm-hmm. I just want you to define enormous compared to like a 500 person, 800 person, sometimes a 1200 person poll. How many people are you polling? Well, we're, we're speaking with thousands and thousands of people every day uh, on, on, I, I don't know, a huge number of public policy questions, favorable ratings of different candidates, parties, um, attitudes towards current events. And what that enables our analyses to to give to people is almost something like a poll aggregator with ourselves. So we can actually see um, through all of these thousands and thousands of interviews opinion changing, not just at the top line aggregate level nationwide or at a state, but 
in all 50 states and within party demographics, uh, uh, party ID and, and other demographics. So you can go on the website and break out the results by, by race, by gender, by age. And there's enough data there over a long enough amount of time that, that the patterns emerge uh, you know, that we present patterns that you can see on the website that really, because of sample size limitations and other constraints in a standard poll, you just never be able to see. So it turns out to be a very powerful combination of large samples over long periods of time combined with some you know, modern tools for statistical modeling and data analysis that we've got integrated there. Yeah, so it's really cool. So you can actually like pull up a map of Joe Biden's approval ratings, and then you can actually see it by 50 states. And then you can maybe say, you know what, I just want to see young people. And boy, he's really popular uh, with young people. Then you know, let's look at old people, you know, 65 plus, And boy, he's really not that popular with that crowd. And so you can kind of slice and dice. You can look at women, young women, old women. And you start, start getting a really granular picture of what actually – how different demographics and in different states and, and you know, geographically by education, how that uh, affects. And it has a great ability to bust conventional wisdom. I mean when, when vaccination was first rolling out, there was a sort of conventional wisdom that the problem right. was going to be black people. Oh, black people are so distrustful of vaccines because of the Tuskegee uh, experiment. And, oh, you know, that was theoretically true. What we ended up finding out that it wasn't black people that was a problem or Latinos or any. It was it was Republicans. It was Republicans. That was the demographic that was most resistant. And obviously, over time, that became more and more obvious. But at the beginning, if you were to look at media narratives, it was very much putting all the onus on um, vaccine hesitancy on the black community, which was utter bullshit. And we were able to show that in a way that sort of changed those media narratives fairly quickly before empirical data made it obvious that really it's Republicans that are the problem. So we want to talk about this new poll that we did on democracy. Yes. Carrie, Carrie, I'll let you uh, kick this one off because there's, there's some really interesting data in there. Well, so the cool thing is, is that we get to do a, a co-branded poll with civics. I mean, civics, you know, does its own polling and, and, does polling for other outfits and whatever, but about once a month, we do a co-branded poll with civics and, you know, we get to say, Hey, we're interested in this topic. And then we let the professionals figure out how to, how to ask the questions. Um, so anyway, uh, but you know, it just so happened that, that we got really interested in this poll and like, what exactly, how many people exactly do still believe that America should be a democracy? And how can we break that down in different ways, right? Because we have these, we have this really existential sort of conversation going on, debate going on within the country right now about what we should look like, who should be able to vote, who shouldn't be able to vote, should we have restrictions, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, um, I mean, the top line of this, and some people said, well, this is kind of a dumb question to ask. Like, how many people believe, you know, we asked respondents, do you think that America, the United States, should should remain a democracy? And, you know, I was honestly thinking when I saw that question before we put it out in the field, like, who knows? We could get some, like, weird answer where, like, 20 or 25 percent of people are like, no, we should be other some other form of government. Okay, so uh, a democracy, right? Right, exactly. So the good news, I guess, is that 
93% of respondents, which is a pretty freaking strong response, say we should be a democracy. We should. I still America wonder should... about. I still wonder about yeah. that. Well, no, that's the que- then the question <laughs> becomes: How do you define democracy, right? But in people's heads, I mean, we that doesn't mean that everybody has the same vision in their head for what a democracy looks like, right? Or what is a, an attack on democracy and whatever. Anyway, I, I was. You know, as a baseline question, I thought it was interesting to see at least so many people still buying into the idea of being a democracy, even though even though that should be like I certainly never would have questioned that like 10 years ago or, you know, you know, even 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago before Trump was elected. I wouldn't have questioned that. I actually had a question in my mind. Anyway, I'm going to let Drew, because we had several interesting questions in there, take out what he thought was quite interesting about what I well, have, I mean, you know, yeah. To be, to be specific, ahead. like you, Carrie's talking about the um, different, different definitions of democracy. So what did the poll say about those? Diff- what are the different definitions of democracy? Yeah. So let me to take a short step back. Um, Civics and Daily Coast as Carrie mentioned, have a collaboration where every month we work with some of the writers and activists to think of questions that are pertinent to what's happening in politics right now. And and we run a, a traditional survey, um, usually around 1,400 or 1,500 people, a representative nationwide sample, and analyze the results and, and, and give it all back to, um, to everyone who had helped think up these questions. And in most months, the questions I would say are, are your pretty typical questions about what's happening in politics and current events. So this month, Carrie came to us and said, "I want to ask. Uh, I want to ask if you uh, quote uh, think that America should remain a democracy." And I, I've been running polls a long time. That's what I do for my career. I, I feel like it, it, most of the time, I have a good sense of what the answers are going to come back as. And in this one, I had absolutely no idea. Uh, I was hopeful. Which is inherently from it. Just that's devastating that we can't assume. I, yeah, yeah. I really we didn't agree. Know. We had that shared value of democracy. And so, so we we asked this question, and the options were, you know, yes, remain a democracy. No, some other form of government, or unsure. So, if you're, uh, I guess, if you are author- authoritarian curious, you could say unsure. <laughs> Um, and we got that 93% of people want to remain a, a democracy. 3% said, no, they, they want some other form of government. And 4% were unsure. So, again, I don't know if that – I guess that's good news. We didn't actually give people the, the option to say what the other form of government would be that they would prefer. Um, but I, I think 93% is good. And the, if you actually look at it by party um, – and I guess the good news here is that um, is that it, it's pretty consistent. Ninety six percent of Democrats, ninety three percent of Republicans. It's the independents who falter a little bit. Only eighty nine only eighty nine percent of independents want to remain a democracy. But those are the people who, you know, they, they we ask them to identify with the party. They don't identify with the party. So I think you know, arguably, you could say these are people who are less committed to the current political system. Um, but there's another interesting factoid here, which is that we in the survey ask how frequently people watch Fox News and watch MSNBC. And 
99 times out of 100, when you break out the results by frequent Fox viewers and frequent MSNBC viewers, these are the farthest possible apart people. On and the, to be on their clear, to, to be very clear, Fox News is ob- obviously extremely conservative, and MSNBC, at least in the late night primetime programming, is liberal. So right. So when we ask people if they watch MSNBC frequently, we take that as a measure of how exposed someone is to what I guess you would consider like the most liberal, popular media version of interpretation of what's happening in the news, and. What was extremely unusual about responses to this question is that our frequent Fox News viewers, 95% wanted to remain a democracy, 0% said some other form of government, and our frequent MSNBC viewers, 99% remain a democracy, 0% some other form of government. So it is the people who are the most exposed to partisan media on either side who are the most committed to remaining a democracy. And it's the people who are less engaged with those mainstream messages. The people who watch those sh- pro- those channels the least are the least committed to democracy. So I wonder... People... Yeah. Antifa! Antifa! No, I'm just kidding. It's clear no, what I, I... people who watch these media sources yeah. think of what a democracy is and what they're protecting and saving about democracy are co- completely different. Right, right, right. But I actually wonder about then that that no media consumption, at least media that that you track, partisan media, and they are more likely to not want democracy. And I wonder if there's an overlap there. And I know there's probably no way for you to be able to tell, but if there's overlap with the hidden Trump deplorables, right, the people who who are really difficult to catch in polling because they don't respond to pollsters, they don't participate in civic life in any in any strong way. They're nihilist. They want to destroy. Uh, and so, yeah, they wouldn't want democracy. I mean, it's clear that that the Trumpiest of Trump supporters are not big fans of democracy. They've made that very, very clear. But then, what you're saying, Drew, which is actually f- interesting, is that that doesn't necessarily apply to the tr- the Fox News, m- you know, more politically aware Trump voter, perhaps. Well, just to be clear, we're talking about. We're talking about small percentages on something that's generally, you know, widely accepted. But I, I think what those what those results indicate is that there are there are hardcore Fox News watching Republicans who are very committed to what in their to what to their conception of what a democracy is. And do we know what that conception is? <laughs> well, we on the survey we I was going to say, we, we did drill down a little bit on some questions that might illuminate. So, yeah. Right. We, well, so, you know, poli- in, on the, in the policy world right now, we have, we have Republican legislat- legislators and legislatures at the state level who are actively pushing and in, in many cases passing new voting laws. And simultaneously at the national level, obviously the Democratic uh, leaders are pushing for voting rights legislation. And so we asked in both of those cases, do you think that Republican act- action at the state level is protecting versus protecting American democracy versus an attack on American democracy? And then likewise about the democratic efforts at the national level. And what we found was very predictable partisan breakdowns. So um, maybe we, we just with the, with the Democrats in Congress, um, 46% of Americans say that 
with new voting rights legislation that um, that's being proposed in Congress is protecting American democracy. 43% of Americans actually see it as a attack on American democracy, but that's, that's 84% of Republicans who see that what the Democrats are doing in Congress right now is, is which is expanding just objectively, which is expanding access to the ballot box. Right. They see it as an attack. They see it as the opposite. Because more black people will vote. Apparently I think that's maybe the underlying fear. More people that don't look like them. Well, Well, and the flip side of it is, 86% 86% of Republicans look at what's happening at the state level as protecting American democracy. So yeah. very different conceptions of what it means to attack versus protect democracy which is, in America. Which is, you know, at the state level, we're seeing restrictions on voting. So cutting down on, on early voting, cutting down on vote by mail, no excuse vote by mail, uh, cutting down on the hours, uh, cutting down on precincts that are available in urban centers. So, yeah. Let me let me just for a second, because, you know, we're not showing these numbers on screen and I think it's hard for people to sort of conceptualize. I want to back up and just say we ask another question, which is, do you we we started out by asking, you know, should America remain a democracy? Right. And 93 percent said yes. Then we said, do you feel worried the U.S. is becoming less of a democracy? And 87 percent expressed concern. So. And and 61% said they were very worried, very worried about that. Okay, so we've got a we've got a large number of people who are actually concerned about democracy right now. And then when you then when you talk about what's an attack on democracy, whether the Democrats trying to do this stuff at the federal level is an attack or the Republicans trying to do this stuff at the state level is an attack, okay, without defining what that is, without saying Democrats are trying to expand access. We're just trying to get that was me defining. Sorry. Right. We're just trying. No, I just I think it's hard sometimes to absorb numbers when you're talking about them. So I just want to say that, you know, it's it's a close to even split on both questions in terms of the whole in terms of the whole whole. number of respondents that we asked. In other words, when you ask if the Democratic uh, bill, H.R. 1, or we didn't even define it, we just said what Democrats are trying to pass, is it an attack? It's only a slim, uh, it's a slim plurality of people, 46%, that say that Democrats are trying to protect democracy. And 43% say it's an attack on democracy. So it's not like, you know, I mean, like that's almost an even split on how people are seeing what's what Democrats are doing. And then if you ask about the GOP laws, once again, you get a few more people saying that the GOP state laws are an attack on democracy. 50% say that, but 44% say that those laws are trying to protect democracy. So that, you know, there's a 6% difference there, but again, not a giant difference, not a like really giant difference between how the overall public is viewing this. There's a partisan split on how it's viewed, but it's not like we have, you know, I would have felt 
pretty good if maybe 65% had viewed those GOP laws as an attack on democracy, right? I would have been like, okay, we're in the main here, like Mm -hmm. 65, but that's not what happened. Only 50% said what the GOP is doing is an attack on democracy. And, and so, you know, like, yeah, did we, did, did our side sort of come out just smelling a little bit better on those questions than, the Republican side, yes, but to me, not enough for comfort. I mean, no. I don't know if anyone else wants to weigh in. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's two things going on here. Um, one is that, like you said, at the margin, the Democratic position is ahead. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's better than the alternative. <laughs> um, the The broader issue here, and what I think the real value of doing polling like this is, you know, it lets all of us step out of our circle, our immediate, our immediate bubble of of people that we talk to, and really get a broader a broader view of what's happening in this country. And what's happening in this country is not simply that Democrats are worried about democracy, but that Republicans also feel worried about democracy, and and to a certain extent, even more worried than Democrats do. And I think a natural reaction to that perhaps by people who listen to the show is how can that possibly be the case? How can, how can anybody, how can, uh, you know, if we look at everything that's happening in terms of uh, the messages that are being circulated, what's happening in, in, um, at the, in policy, even to the insurrection at the U S Capitol building, how can it possibly be the case that Republicans are even more worried about democracy than Democrats are? And yet that's, that's the case. Um, Republicans feel that what they believe is American democracy is under threat and it's showing up on the survey. And I don't necessarily know what to do with that information. I'll leave that to the two of you, but it does seem to be the case that that's, that that's what's happening. Don't let them vote. Don't let any of them vote. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, it doesn't seem that far fetched to me if you sort of t- take that step back because Republicans over half of Republicans now think that Donald Trump rightfully won the 2020 election and the election was stolen from him. So if you actually truly believe that your candidate lost, then you're rightfully going to think there is no democracy or our democracy is in shambles and therefore something needs to be done. And so it is that Trump big lie that is fueling them. And it, I think it, it is that Trump big lie that is also fueling us liberals going like, oh, my God, look how they're reacting. They're, they're First of all, they're batshit. I mean, these people have lost all touch with reality. And now they're trying to use that as justification to make it harder for people to vote. So, yeah, our democracy is in shambles. And how close was Donald Trump to actually staging a coup? A lot closer than zero percent. Right. I mean, there was there was a percentage chance that he could have been successful and that somebody even tried a coup in, you know, in our in this country is a shock to the system. So it's definitely like Trump is right at the middle of of that. What is becoming, you know, maybe not panic, but like serious concern about the future of our democracy. And and I'm not going to pretend I know the answer other than to keep beating them at the ballot box and getting our vote out and, and that sort of stuff. But Carrie. I'll offer a possibility, which is, and this is no sure thing. Carrie's right? going to solve the issue right here. I'm going to solve it. So everybody sit back, grab a drink. <laughs> And just take the goodness in because it's just going to flow right out. No, I mean, I do think what this means is, you know, we really are in a battle for 
the country, right, for the heart and soul of, of American democracy as we see it. And our, our view is reality-based, right? It's based in what is actually happening. Um, but I think, you know, we have to, that just means that the threat is so big, you know, in terms of all these people who are really grounded in something that is just so, so off the charts wrong and baseless and about the big lie about 2020 being stolen, that we have to try to unravel it at every different level. And that means a messaging level politically. That means, um, you know, prosecuting the people, um, at, you know, at, who participated in January 6th in the in the coup attempt. That means the Justice Department or, you know, and finding a way to look into which parts of our which people within our government may have been actively involved in planning that. It means that at no level can we look away. We can't afford to have the Department of Justice look away. We can't afford to have the FBI look away. We can't afford to have the White House say this isn't a politically popular thing to do, so we're just going to look away. And we sure as heck can't have Democrats looking away. And I think actually Democrats in Congress, generally speaking, are more committed to trying to do something to get to the bottom of this because they actually lived that attack. They lived it. They feared for their physical being. They called loved ones and said, I love you. You know, I just want to make sure I say that. Like, that's something that you don't forget easy. So I feel like the the congressional Democrats are pretty committed to trying to find a way to do something about this, even without Republicans. We're clearly not going to get any Republican buy-in to this, as we all know now. So, you know, but we can't afford for, like, Merrick Garland, the attorney general, would be like, yeah, this isn't popular. You know, I mean, like, like we, ha- I don't know how to convey to the White House and this administration that this is not a secondary consideration. But, man, they got to be on it because people have to see, oh, people got convicted. Oh, wait, there were these emails exchanged. Oh, wait, you know, um, you know, the Democratic messaging has to be good. I'm just saying, like, it is an all hands on deck moment to try to unravel this big lie that Republicans have bought into at least two thirds of them hook, line and sinker. Let me let me put some hard numbers on this from this same survey so that we can really have a clear uh, sense of how many people we're talking about in this country. One of the questions we asked was whether people consider consider themselves pro-Trump Republicans, anti-Trump Republicans, a Republican who doesn't have any strong feelings about Trump one way or the other, or not a Republican. And 31% of people in this country call themselves pro-Trump Republicans, period. That's 31% of the country. That's a third of the people. country. That's Give the choice. What, sorry? That's 100 million people. Oh, it's an, it's an enormous number of people are committed to Trump. They define themselves as a, as a pro-Trump Republican when given the option of defining themselves literally any other way. 5% call themselves anti-Trump Republicans. And another 9% say, yeah, I'm Republican, but I don't have strong feelings about him. So the overwhelming majority of people who view themselves as Republican, Republican voters, are Trump supporters. And, you know, a follow-up question to that is, when Republican candidates for office are putting themselves out there, do you think that they should be supporters of Trump or opponents of Trump? And among Republicans, 
70% of Republicans that these candidates should be supporters of Trump. Uh, the percent saying that candidates, Republican candidates should be opponents of Trump, three. <laughs> 70 to three. Liz Cheney. Think, Liz Cheney's getting 3%. <laughs> three. So, like 70 to three. Republican voters say that that Republican candidates should be Trump supporters. That's- which is why, which is why, I mean, you know, Marcos and I marvel like basically every episode at how the Republican Party has decided to just go down this like rabbit hole with Trump and just let him take over the party, even though, you know, he doesn't have a Twitter account. He was arguably could have been, you know, kneecapped after the insurrection. And instead, they just doubled down on him. I mean, part of that, just don't get me wrong, 70, that 70 percent partially now has been reinforced by congressional Republicans deciding to double down, right? They, they, they decided to double down and that makes it easier for people to say, of course, our, our, you know, candidates should be supporters of Trump, but it's also clearly what congressional Republicans, congressional Republicans were reacting to was seeing this in the polling, right? That their own internal polling was showing that, the vast majority of their voters wanted people wanted their candidates to be supporting Trump, protecting Trump, you know, whatever, propagating his big lie. And so they responded to that rather than taking a stand and reclaiming their party and then, you know, rebuilding it. They decided we're just going to do the easy thing and try to build on this you know, percentage of people. And there's always the question of how much Republican uh, leadership could change public opinion rather than responding to public opinion. But it, it certainly seems to be the case that they're not interested in, in leading public opinion away from where we are right now. I wish we would have asked that, that do you believe in democracy question while Donald Trump was president? And I wonder <laughs> if the numbers would have been better because, of course, Republicans want democracy right now. They don't want to get stuck with Joe Biden for life. So I wonder if that would change and we've seen in other questions that republicans will literally switch overnight you know depending on who won an election the review so while obama was president the economy was shit right they always thought the economy was terrible when we asked them about the economy but the day that donald trump was elected he wasn't even in office the day he was elected suddenly these republicans thought that the economy was doing fantastic <laughs> so i don't i don't quite believe that there, there's and it sort of kind of goes to the next point we talked to uh, to a, a pollster uh, going to be in a future episode that he talked about how they did this experiment where they ran uh, two they had two a-, a B questions right and the first one they described the perfect world candidate right salt of the earth farmer white male and then the other one was the coastal elite who only wants to to tax breaks for the rich right and then when you ask that question. The, the salt of the earth, the rural farmer won, wins like 60 to 30, right? I mean, it's not even close. This is rural voters. The universe is your rural voters. But you ask the exact same question, but you put a D next to the farmer and an R next to the coastal elite, and the coastal elite wins. So, Drew, how much of this, this all, you know, these questions, it's just like that D and the R. When you ask about the states and you ask about the federal government, is it really just that distilled down that the only thing that people care about anymore is whether it's a Democrat or Republican policy, individual, et cetera? We live in a very polarized time. 
And a lot of what we measure as pollsters, you could just call partisan cheerleading. People feel strongly identified to which side they're on, uh, whether for policy reasons or identity reasons or community, family reasons, whatever the case may be. Those are all perfectly good reasons, but they feel a strong identification with those groups and those party labels. And as soon as those labels go on the choices, people feel that, that answering a survey is is their opportunity to stick up for their side and to help their side win and to show to the world that their side has more support than the other side. And obviously it's not a hundred percent of questions. Uh, and what's often the most interesting to us and the work we do is when those labels are overwhelmed by events in the world where people do show room for flexibility or are changing their mind because of what's happening in their lives. But the overwhelming pattern in, in the majority of cases is that people feel allegiance to their to their side and, and they want to win and they feel like they're right. And, um, you know, I mean, you, you tell me whether that's good or bad, but that Donald Trump killed half a million Americans due to the negligence in his response to COVID and it did not affect his numbers. That's right. And so what does that tell you about the relative importance to people of certain events in the world versus their comfort and their own political identity. And I would say that about people on both sides. Um, it's well, a very not, interesting aspect of, of modern political I'd like technology. to think that I, would, that I would kick Joe Biden to the curb if, he, if his response to the pandemic had been as incompetent as Trump's was. I mean, I, I, don't, I just don't believe personally that I would have been like, go Democrats if, if <laughs> Joe Biden had handled the pandemic the way Donald Trump did. I don't, I, I think better of myself than that. I do. I mean, we were very critical of Barack Obama when he was president. I think we've sort of proven our ability to separate the man and the party from the policy and to be appropriately critical when the, when the, when the facts warranted it, when the situation warranted it. I don't, I don't, those, you know, right wing Trump, they can't, criticize trump right i mean it's 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 a sin it's it's a capital punishment if you criticize trump you get ex you know you become lynn Ch liz cheney yeah liz cheney excommunicated mm -hmm. but she's got three percent of people behind her she's <laughs> so three percent not people three percent of republicans so she's cooking with gas i mean you know you build from there and get to 50 plus one right so um <laughs> My guess is, is that she has, you know, Democrats know in Wyoming that they're not going to win. Right. So she probably has more Democratic support um, than she does Republican support in that in that uh, state. You know, so this is a good time maybe to ask a more generalized question, which you as a pollster looking around the landscape of political stories. What is the most sort of undersold, undercovered polling story of the last year or last six months or whatever in your in your opinion that's a great question that's a great question um i i would i would turn us back to uh the questions that we track so um flipping over to our website at, at civics.com, we run all sorts of daily tracking surveys like we talked about at the beginning here. and um, Which you guys have access to, by the way. If you go, oh, it's all, to, Yeah, it's all public. Yeah, Civic, you can go and see the trend lines. You can see the, da the daily tracking polls, et cetera. Anyway, sorry, go ahead, please. Yeah, I think, I think that um, 
one one place that I may be a bit more pessimistic than the conventional wisdom on is on public support for the Democratic Democratic Party brand following the last election. And I think that, um, you know, after Barack Obama was elected, there was a, an enormous amount of excitement and enthusiasm for his presidency. And um, I think that I think that Democrats may have overestimated the extent to which, um, you know, his victory marked a permanent shift in American public opinion. And we all know what happened eight years later. And I I think that something similar may be happening right now with respect to Biden's victory. Um, The the Republican Party brand is not very good at all. Uh, But the Democratic Party brand is not that great either. And um, according to our tracking, you know, we ask, do you have a favorable or unfavorable opinion of the Democratic Party? And more people are are more people are unfavorable than favorable. And I think what's the exact what's the number? Do you have it in front of you? Yeah, I've got it pulled up. It's it's um fifty two percent unfavorable versus only forty two percent favorable. So over half. Yeah. So again, it's worse the Republicans are even worse. They're tragic. I, I love talking about the Republican <laughs> Party right now because they're so tragic. But but to your point, that doesn't mean that Democrats are like, you know, kicking it, right? So I don't think that Democrats have, have won part. in any long-term permanent way. I think that there are demographic forces at play. You know, obviously, occasionally Democrats win elections and, that, and the, you know, Biden won. But it could just as easily revert back to, uh, you know, a more Republican electorate in the next election, the next midterm election, the next, um, you know, presidential election. I, I think that maybe the conventional wisdom right now is that people in America are very, very happy that Biden won. They're behind him. They're behind the Democrats. I think the public opinion on balance is behind progressive policy ideas policy specifically yeah yes absolutely and in fact there are some policies that that some democrats support maybe not as strongly as they could and, and but you know not that not all democrats uh, are supporting that have more public support than democrats are actually democratic leaders are actually giving it um but but the party brand and um individual democratic leaders there's not as high support for these folks as, as you might think. And I wouldn't be so complacent or secure about Democrat individual Democrats, electoral prospects um, based on the public opinion data that I'm seeing. It's a part of that, uh, the youth vote. I mean, we know that it's, it's difficult to turn out. They're not as aligned Partisan-wise, right, to both parties. I mean, we're seeing what everybody else is seeing, that um, that they don't have allegiance to the party. That's Oh, that's absolutely correct. And in fact, I mean, I think the difference between support for certain policies that are associated with Democrats and support for Democrats is a very telling gap. And, you know, it's very possible that if Democratic leaders adopted more of these, you know, we often talk about do things that are popular, adopted more of these things that were popular and showed action on them, that that w- could potentially improve the, the attitudes towards the brand, uh, which has room to improve, particularly among independents and among young people. Yeah, I mean, we had a great uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago with Ben Wessel, who uh, did youth 
turnout and outreach uh, for next gen. And we're talking about the um, uh, student loan forgiveness and how dramatically, obviously it's a policy that's associated with Democrats and it's wildly popular with, with young, uh, young voters, but for whatever reason, Joe Biden doesn't want to pull the trigger on a $50,000 forgiveness, which would, again, bolster that Democratic Party brand. And it's even that resistance, that reluctance, the fact that he doesn't pull the trigger right away. Those are things I think that sort of create doubt, create doubt moving forward. Because had he just came out of the gate and said, we're doing this right away, then people think like, yeah, he's with us. Otherwise, even if he pulls the trigger like at the end of the year, people are like, what took him so long and why? I think I actually think that if he pulls the trigger, I would not wait until next year because it just people. I mean, this is one thing. I mean, you know better than I do, Drew. But I think the general the conventional wisdom is, is that before the next election, that attitudes are sort of the public. Their attitudes, generally speaking, are sort of set in by like, I don't, I want to say six, eight months before the election actually takes place. So it doesn't mean that people can't change their minds, but a lot of people have already sort of decided what they think around that time about how well the economy is doing and what, you know, whether or not Democrats so, are, have helped or hurt it. But, but let me just say, so I, I just, I hope that he does something on that this year because that could so substantially help the group of people that are suffering under those payments that I really think that it could it could really make them pro Democrat, pro Biden, even if he waited, you know, several months before the before he did it, it would be such a big deal to them that I think that their lives would be so substantially better because of it that they would really, that that would be a a loyalty maker. So anyway, sorry, go ahead. The very easiest people to win over, uh, to, 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 to say that they are supporters of the Democratic Party are people who already identify as Democrats. And when you look at the responses by age, breaking out Democrats by age, 94% of Democrats over 65 have a favorable opinion of the Democratic Party. But among people who are 18 to 34, and again, these are people who call themselves Democrats, uh, that favorable rating falls to 80%. So there is a 14% difference there between the oldest Democrats and the youngest Democrats. Those theoretically are the easiest people to win over. Start there. You know, you know I, I'm looking at Joe Biden's job approval ratings on civics. Everybody can do this. Civics.com, civics with a Q. Joe Biden's job approval, registered voters by age, 18 to 34. Three months ago, he had a 47% approval rating, 40% disapproval. 47, 43 months ago. Today, that's 44, 43. So he went from plus seven to plus one. So 47, 40 to 44, 43. It's that, it's that frustration. And it creates this, this slow simmering loss of support. And these are, I mean, that I was checked. among everyone. That was among yes. everyone. 1834, 1834. Yep. Oh, oh, I looked at, sorry, 1834 Democrats and they're holding steady. So it's those people we're talking about that young people who don't have partisan allegiances, they're suspicious, they're cynical. Yeah. They've been promised things. They probably voted for Joe Biden to get rid of mm-hmm. Donald Trump. They have high hopes and it, you know, they keep dragging out the student loan repayment, which seems like such a freaking no-brainer. They should have had it ready to go on week one. It's, a, it's an executive order. We're, we don't have to get this through Congress. And so 
people start getting frustrated. And that's why I, I worry about dragging anything out, because even if they pull through by the end of the year, aside from locking in partisan preferences before the November election next year, you create that bitterness. And, you know, so when he maybe finally pulls the trigger, forgives $50,000, the reaction won't be a celebration. The reaction will be like, finally, finally. And you well, see that in the yeah. data. I do. I, I, I hope we're not in an Obama situation. I feel like what happened with the Obama administration is he left all of these progressive different groups, you know, demographics sort of hanging, you know, in the wind until he finally needed them for reelect. And then he came around. He came out for same sex marriage. He created DACA yeah. for dreamers. You know, he 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 put a block on the Keystone XL pipeline to win over environmentalists. But by the time he did that, and that was three to three and a half years in, in most of those cases, um, by the time he finally did that, in fact, I don't even think he did it for um, Keystone XL until until 2012. But anyway, by the time he finally did that, he 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 had created animosity within the progressive wing of the party against the administration. And I'm I don't think we're quite there yet. I mean, I think that Biden got some there were so many good things that were worked into the American Rescue Plan that the progressive side of the party was like, hey, this ain't bad. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to get to that place again that we got with the with the Obama administration. I was just going to add here, there's basically no evidence that Republicans are being won over in any way. And, you know, the idea that that negotiating a bit more or waiting a bit more to bring over Republican support, uh, you know, will somehow will somehow be effective. They're just there's just no evidence of that. And well, so, I think that I think the story they're telling themselves is not that they're going to win over Republicans, but that they're going to win over independents. And and yet the trend lines are going in the opposite direction, and we can they see liter- they literally are going in the opposite direction. Yeah, independents are abandoning Joe Biden right now because they, they want action. Because it went up during the rescue. Yeah, plan. no, no, they I don't mean, care listen, what the final tally is. They just want action. I listen. I mean, I just was listening to Nicole Wallace on MSNBC the other day, and it was during the it was she was talking when voting rights the voting rights bill HR one S one for the People Act was being voted down, right? It was being shut down by Republicans. But because Democrats won't kill the filibuster or at least create a workaround for one very important existential bill facing us, right? But anyway, and she was like, I mean, you know, she, so she used to be a Republican strategist. And she's, she. I mean, I agree with a lot of the stuff she says now. And she was like, there is real political peril in Democrats not doing something, right? You know, the, the, the story is always about how there's political peril if you do something like get rid of the filibuster. If you, you know, she was like, Mitch McConnell's, his, his stature within his caucus grew when he got rid of the filibuster in order to get judges through. His, when he withheld that seat, his stature within the party grew. It did not shrink. And there's no evidence that any of these things actually comes back to haunt you and, you know, you, you lose your, your power or whatever. You actually gain power. Where there is political peril is in winning, is in having people vote for you. And then you don't produce because you bring a, a gun to, I mean, you bring a knife to a gunfight. Oh, you're trying to bring the losers into the fight. They, they lost. <laughs> well, the, the window of opportunity here for any of these sorts of changes is, and is so short. And the Democrats are in control in Washington right now. This is it. 
Kerry, we have we have time for one more question each. So so think about that. Great closing statement. You, uh, you go ahead. You. Yeah, I will go first. Yeah, you talked through about the the poor the poor uh, favorability to the Democratic Party. So definitely, we we know you're worried about that. But is there anything in the data you're collecting that keeps you up at night? That really makes you worry about <laughs> presumably twenty twenty two. Oh boy. <laughs> I, you know I, what, I, I don't like know if our listeners optimistic show. I don't know if our listeners can take getting into Drew's <laughs> no. you know two two AM wake up. We can talk about Cheerios, things, to, you know. There's a lot of yeah. positive stuff we can talk okay, about. Okay, good. Good. I so I Okay, what ex- <laughs> what excites you about twenty twenty? What gives you optimism about twenty twenty two? Given we've talked about in the show before that historically the party that is in the White House loses seats in Congress. Yes. So what gives you optimism that we may buck those trends next year? I, I think that I think that when you step back from the day to day and look at the longer trend of public opinion in this country on attitudes that uh, you know the, the listeners of this podcast will care about, attitudes are moving in the right direction. And that is across a host of issues. A lot of it is generational as older, uh, as older voters, as we say, exit the electorate and are replaced by younger voters. Um, attitudes are, are moving in a progressive direction. Um, racial attitudes among Democrats are moving in a very clear, uh, direction of, of, um, I guess just, I guess you would say, Pro- progressiveness there. I mean, there was Tolerance, a lot of, uh, yeah, acceptance. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Attitudes towards same sex marriage attitudes on. I've seen transgender um, issues. Absolutely. I would say, I mean, I, for those of, of, for those of the folks in the audience who care about this um, support for legalizing cannabis is absolutely off the charts. And I, I don't, I can't even fathom why this isn't a more widely embraced, easy win. Uh, citizenship for immigrants uh, versus versus deportation. You know, people overwhelmingly want citizenship, and you can just go down the list. People want support for the increase in the minimum wage. That's very strong. Obamacare support keeps going up and up steadily. You name it, and so. We we often talked, you know, getting back to the very start of this conversation, when you and I, when you and I first met back in 2012, 2013, we said, we got to start tracking these things now, because some of these attitudes change very slowly, and we want to watch it as it happens every day. And some of these attitudes have changed on a scale of years, a couple points every year. Um, but it's moving in the direction that uh, you know, of it's moving in the progressive direction. And eventually, as we saw in Georgia in the last election, things tip, they reach a tipping point and they flip. And so you never quite know when that tipping point is going to be reached, but we're starting to see it happen in certain places and who knows where it's going to happen next. So there, there, I, I, I wanted to, I don't want to be all doom and gloom here. I think there's a lot of good news. And I actually think the major story in public opinion in America is that there are these very long-term trends that are moving in the progressive direction. And that actually explains why Republicans are so hell-bent on rigging the machinery of democracy to be able to win without having a majority of the American uh, people supporting them. 
It's direct correlation, I think. I feel like that's a good place to end. <laughs> unless you want me to ask a, unless you want me to ask it. I mean, I can, I have more questions I can ask, but it seems like we, 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 we had it. We had a nice arc here. We had a nice arc. That was, we started all right. someplace. Uh, we came. Yeah. That works for me. Drew, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm pretty sure we'll be checking in on you as we get closer to election season because we're going to start looking at some of these races and and uh, it's we'll, we'll see if progressive support for progressive issues and the elevation of Donald Trump uh, as front and center of the Republican brand if that gives us a fighting chance next year to buck those historical trends we'll have a clear, we'll have a close eye on that via civic so drew thank you so much for joining us thanks it's been really great speaking with you so carrie thank you so much for being my great co-host it's always fantastic and wonderful and i just kicked my computer so everything's all wobbly (laughs) thank you everybody for listening thanks kara salaya for producing the show she's stepping in for walter inaugural it was her inaugural show is that right i think so i think it is in terms of production yeah Yep. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. You can always talk to us at DailyCoast.com or on Twitter at DailyCoast. See you all next week. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. You can always talk to us at DailyCoast.com or on Twitter at DailyCoast. See you next week.